Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Amen. You know, I preached my first uh, first message, I think, from this pulpit here. Is this the old one? I don't know. We've been doing this a while. So uh, God's, been, God's been good. God's been faithful. And, you know, I'm so thankful for Jesus. Amen. If there's anything we'll get today, you know, my heart's prayer is that you don't see me at all. That I can sort of get, get to the side and we can look to Jesus, have our lives, heart, you know, lives and hearts touched and changed and you know, if there's any glory or any praise or anything, it, it certainly belongs to him. Learned from early on, you know, I wouldn't have my next breath if he didn't give it to me. Someone once asked Billy Graham, they said, Billy, why is your, why is your crusades, you know, so big and so great? And he said, he said, I learned from early on, never touch the glory. And so if there's any glory, if there's any praise or anything shared today, we want to give it to him, of course, uh, because he, he's the one that's worthy. Amen. Which is why we're here. It's why we get out of bed. Why we come to church is to lift our hands and praise him for for what He's done for us. He's been faithful. Thank God. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. He's a worthy God. Amen? Died on the cross for you, suffered in the grave for you, gave His everything for you. And today we're just here to lift up Jesus for what He's done for you, what He's done for me. None of us on our own are worthy on our own. And so, you know, the older I get, the more Baptocostal I become. And uh, I, I'm thoroughly thankful for my salvation. And so, you know, the Bible says, talks about forget not, which, you know, where you came from. And I forget not where I came from. And so, uh, he's, God's been good to me. When I got saved, I, man, I got, I was so thankful, you know. <clears throat> um, I'm going to share a message, but let, let me share this first. <clears throat> I was raised in a home, and, and the home I was raised in, uh, you know, I had a respect for God. But I, I didn't have a personal relationship with Him. I had, I had a respect for God. I can remember being a kid and going outside in my driveway, 265 Center Lane in Brighton Township, and I, I'd be on the driveway, and I can remember praying as a kid, but I, you know, I, I wasn't saved, but I can remember praying. Went to college, and a kid turned around as a sophomore in college. He turned around, and he said, Will, you believe in God, don't you? And I said, Yeah, actually, I believe in God. And he says, Well, you know, the Bible says you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. The kid's name was Kurt Latshaw. And I think he's from Anaka. And so uh, <clears throat> he said, you know, the Bible says you must be born again. And I said, man, it's not in there. And he said, get home and look it up. And so my mother had recently bought me a Bible. She had bought me an NIV Bible when I was 18. She wrote in the, on the front of it, and this is the Bible here. And uh, I went home and looked it up. And sure enough, John 3, 3, I believe this is a Thursday or Friday, I looked it up. Unless a man be born again, he'll never see the kingdom of God. And for no better way of saying it, it scared the hell out of me. I have no better way of saying that. It scared me. And so some people say you can't get scared into, into heaven. Well, <laughs> at least one did. I was, I was the one. And so I, this equates nothing to me. All I know is well, i got to live better for God. i, I got to do a better job living for Him. And so this is maybe Wednesday or Thursday. Well, by Friday, I've, I've done messed up. I'm feeling guilty. Sunday rolls around, <clears throat> and uh, we are at the... Uh, uh, 
YMCA. It was in Chippewa in those days, and uh, it closed at noon. And one of the kids said, well, let's just stay back here in this back room in the corner. And when they close, we'll stay and shoot hoops. All right. So we did. There's about eight of us. We're about 15 minutes into this, you know, or whatever. We, we played for a while. It was probably 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. Kid shells me against the wall. I turn around, and I drill him. And all of a sudden, it hits me. I'm going to hell. 100% convinced for the first time in my life, I am on the road directly to hell. I run back in the men's room in the YMCA in Chippewa, if you remember it, and I'm in, uh, I'm in the locker room, and I got my head in my hands, and I'm, I mean, I am crying, I'm like, and I'm praying. God, listen, I, I'm going to hell. I know I am. I don't know what to do. Show me a sign. And I kept saying, God, show me a sign. I was good friends with a kid from Beaver named Mike Zach. He was with me that day, and he came in, and Mike said, dude, what are you doing? And I said, listen, man, I'll be all right. Just go home. And uh, he's like, I drove. <laughs> I said, well, I said, I'll figure it out. Just go or whatever. So uh, anyway, Zach, I don't know if you went to shoot hoops or left, but here I am having this experience in a bathroom with God. And kind of ironic. And, uh, you know, when you bring your sins to God, he doesn't care where you're at. And so I'm in this bathroom <clears throat> praying, God, show me a sign, show me a sign. And I hear all these feet upstairs. And I get myself together, it's probably 2.30 in the afternoon. I walk upstairs, and there's maybe 70 kids um, talking about Jesus. And uh, it hit me like a brick. I was just calling out for a sign in the bathroom. I walk up, and now we're hearing about Jesus. And so I, I stand there for a minute. The missionary, who actually be, happened to be a missionary from Africa, says, I need a ride back to the church. Anybody give me a ride? And I lifted my hand. And uh, they, all, you know, all these kids turn around like, who in God's name is this? And I wasn't supposed to be in there. None of these kids knew me. And the missionary was brave enough to let me give him a ride. And so he got, he went, got in my car. Actually, I drove that day. He got in my car. And uh, as soon as he sat down, I started crying. He said, he said, dude, what's going on? I'm like, man, I, I don't know what's happening, but I'm on the road to hell. I have no idea what to do about it. And he said, well, listen, let's go down the road. So we went to the hot dog shop in Chippewa, and we sat back near the bathroom. Uh, if you go back to the bathrooms in Chippewa, not the back stall, but the one or, or the uh, booth, the one right next to that. And so we were sitting there, and I, I believe I got a couple chili dogs and a large Coke or something, and he led me down the Roman road, and he shared, shared a message with me. And for all these years that I've been in ministry, all these years I've been saved, this message resounds as the most important message I've ever heard. And so we've heard the, uh, versions of this message preached here. You know, we've, of course, shared it overseas. I've heard this message overseas. But I thought, you know what, today I'm going to share that message. And uh, I'm going I'm to share a version of the message. It's not the exact message I heard, but it's a similar message. And that has driven us, it has propelled us, it has kept us going. And, uh, you know, it has certainly set the path uh, for our lives. And so I thought I'd just share that with you guys this morning. Amen? God's good. Amen. Well, if you got your Bibles, God is good. Thank God. What if he wasn't? Luke 15. If I'm going to line up all the most important stories to me in the Bible, certainly this would be number one. I don't know about you, but once again, I'm just so appreciative for what Jesus has done for me. Amen. In Luke 15, <clears throat> once again, to me, certainly the, one of the most important scriptures in the Bible. Luke 15, Jesus, everybody say Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is sharing a story and he shares... He shares three stories in his passage in Luke 15. Number one, he shares that there was, a, there was a man, he was a shepherd, and he had a sheep. 
And Jesus said that uh, this sheep wandered away from, from the 100. Wandered away. And here, the shepherd wasn't content just staying with the 99. He left what he was doing. He went out to desperately search for this one lost sheep. And the Bible says that after he finally found it and brought it back, he gave a great banquet to celebrate the finding of his one lost sheep. And Jesus telling his story to signify that the Father has come to seek and save you and me. And so it might not be today. Maybe you were saved five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, or maybe you're not saved. But the important thing is he came to seek and find you. And so I don't know if it's important to you today, but it's important to me that all these years ago in 1989, Jesus came to find me. And so I'm, I'm thankful today just as I was then. How about you? And so he signifies the story that, that you know, the good shepherd, uh, you know, came to, came to seek us and find us. Maybe today you've wandered, wandered in here and maybe you are that lost sheep. You know, maybe you lost your direction, you lost your purpose, you lost your hope, you're disappointed in yourself. Other people have disappointed you. You ever been there? I've looked at myself, been disappointed with myself, with others. You know, it's easy to get disappointed because there's only one perfect, and that was Jesus. And so there are things that can discourage us, and it's easy to wander away. But the good news is Jesus has come to seek and save us every day. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. And any day that we need forgiveness, any day that we need to repent, any day that we need to restore our relationship with Him, the Bible says He is there and stands at the door of our heart and knocks. All we have to do is open our heart. He'll come in and sup with us. Amen? Amen? And he's always wanting to restore our, uh, our relationship with him. Jesus goes on to tell a second story. And in the second story, a woman had a headdress that she was saving for her dowry. It's what, you know, uh, the woman's family or, you know, whatever was given is for her wedding. And the Bible says that one of her coins fell out of her headdress and she lost it. And the Bible says, she, you know, it talks about, you know, she lit a candle, she looked for it under the bed, she swept her house, she wept, she cried. Neighbors came and helped her look for it. And finally, she found it. She found this important coin, this valuable coin that she had lost out of her headdress. And the Bible says all the neighbors came together and they rejoiced with her that she found this coin uh, you know, from her headdress that she was going to use for a dowry. And Jesus went on to say that there's great rejoicing in heaven when just one sinner comes unto him, repenting of their sins. When you repented of your sins, or if you haven't done it yet, the Bible says all of heaven... You could say, you know, hypothetically, looking over the banisters of heaven, ready to rejoice when one person lays their life down at the altar to surrender all to him. And so, isn't that something? That a life, one life, not many lives, one life is that important as when they repent and when they lay everything at the altar. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices. How, how valuable is a soul? That all of heaven is willing to rejoice. All of heaven doesn't rejoice when you, you know, when you hit a home run, although I might rejoice, that, that's good stuff. The Bible doesn't say all of heaven rejoices when you, when you get a raise or when you have five kids. The Bible doesn't say all of heaven rejoices for anything else other than when a, you know, when a sinner comes and lays it all at the altar, surrenders everything. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices. How important is a soul? You know, you just, you just contemplate that. And then I just want to spend a minute here. The third story Jesus shares is this. He shares a story of a father and two sons. 
And the Bible says that during this time, that uh, this man, this farmer, apparently lived out on a ranch, a big ranch. And uh, one day his son came to him, his, his youngest son, and he said, he said, listen, it's our law, it's our custom that, you know, when you pass, that the older son gets two-thirds of the estate. And the younger son gets one-third of the estate. He said, listen, Dad, he said, I don't want to wait. He said, I want mine now. I want to do, I want to do my thing now. I want my one-third of the estate. And the father, being any father, probably talk, tried to talk him out of it. I would certainly try to talk my son out of it. And uh, listen, son, there's a better way. There's a better route. And I'm sure the father probably spent hours trying to talk him out of it, but he couldn't. And the boy just wanted to wander off and sin. And so finally he gave in. The father, the, the father gave in, and he gave it to him. And the boy wandered off. And you can liken it today to, you know, he wandered off into the world. I don't know if he's doing drugs, their version of drugs in those days, you know, partying. I don't, I don't know what all he was doing. But he wanted, to, he wanted to have it all now for his flesh. And so the Bible says he, he wandered off. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, if you flip over there with me, I think I told you to start on Luke, but we'll, we'll go to Deuteronomy. I've been known to do that once in a while. Deuteronomy 30, 15, it says this. <clears throat> See, I set before you today, and you could say, you know, the Bible says these things are done as our example. So I, I would say this to you directly, that God is speaking this to us. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. He sets them both before you. For I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk in His ways and to keep His commandments, decrees, and laws. And then, notice it's conditional, and then you'll live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. Verse 17. But, everybody say but. But if your heart turns away, if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods, what are other gods? We're not talking like golden calves. We're talking about, could be television, could be, you know, could be some form of entertainment, could be, could be anything, uh, could be an idol. If you are drawn and yield to that and bow down to another god and worship them, I declare to you today that you certainly will be destroyed. So, God gives us an opportunity to choose. Which way am I going to go? Am I going to choose life or am I going to choose death? And so, you know, the Bible says in Mark chapter 8, it says this, What profits a man if he gains the entire world and forfeits his soul? The Bible says, not that money is a root of all evil, but the love of it. The love of money is a root of all evil. We have to be careful what's number one in our life, and you have to guard it. God is a jealous God. And so if you put anything before Him, even entertaining yourself in some form or fashion, if that is more important to you than Jehovah God... That is offensive to him. And he's a, like I said, he's a jealous God. But if we choose him, if we choose to put him first, God will bless us and he'll give us life. Well, the Bible says that for this boy that wandered off, that chose to do his thing now, the Bible says there was a great famine in the land where he went. He couldn't get enough food, couldn't get enough water, lost his job. And uh, finally, or you know, all his friends deserted him. Finally, he got a job feeding pigs. And he tried to satisfy his hunger pains with his hunger pains with just eating the pig food. And the Bible said he finally began to come to his senses. And he thought, you know what? If I go back 
to my father's house, maybe he'll give me a job and I can serve as a servant. He didn't want to go back as a son. He didn't want to go back as an heir. He just wanted to go back as a servant. Maybe I can get a job and work for my dad. Maybe he'll throw me a couple bucks or you know, go back as a servant. The Bible said he finally began to come to, came, uh, come to himself. He saw he was in sin. He saw he was wrong. He sinned against his family. He sinned against his father. He sinned against heaven. You know, the beginning of restoration is recognize that I have done wrong. The day I got saved, it started with me knowing I did wrong. And, and I, got, I got to get this thing turned around. The Bible says that the boy humbled himself. And he, he returned back to his father. And he was going to cast himself at, at the uh, mercy of his father. And he didn't come back with arrogance. He didn't come back prideful. The Bible says he came back to confess his sin to his father and, and repent. And like I said, repentance means turning away from sin. Not only apologizing, but hey, let me turn and, and let me find a better way of doing this that will glorify my Father in heaven. I've been there. I had to do it. And if you're honest, you have as well. He found his father, the Bible says, had been waiting for him. Day after day, week after week, month after month, probably year after year. It says there was a famine, so it indicated there was a period of time. His father had been waiting for him. And he came back, and his father wasn't prepared to, to whip him or beat him or punish him or chastise him. The Bible says as he began to approach the farm, his father's farm, this is such a great indication of who your father in heaven is. The Bible says the father left the porch and ran toward him. Ran toward him. He ran toward his son. And the Bible says he embraced him. They wept, they cried, they threw a great feast. And, of course, his father, you know, threw a great feast and put the robe around him and he restored his son. And so it's a great indication. God's not here to punish you today. God doesn't want to punish you. God doesn't want to, you know, destroy you. God doesn't want to hurt you or harm you. God wants a deep relationship with you. But we have to follow the steps that the Bible indicates. That all of our lives, there's times that we need to be on our face before him. Ask God to cleanse us from all, you know, sin, all unrighteousness. God, restore me. Here I am. How many of you know when you come at the, to the altar, when you stand before God in heaven, you stand alone? You don't stand with another person. It is you and God. And so it doesn't matter what your background is, what your situation is, what your heritage, any of that. When you come before God, it is you and you and God alone. That is it. And so we need to be sincere before God and sincerely repent. And so if you've wandered in here today, before we move on, I just want to let you know... Um, you know, if you've never given your heart and life to God, God is here to, to restore your relationship with Him. I, I believe saying this, that there are those of us, I mean, we, you know, maybe we can repent and we can ask God to cleanse us from all sin, all unrighteousness. Maybe we have idols in our lives that we need to lay at the altar here at Christian Assembly on today's date, June 5th, 2022. That God, today, I lay it all once again at the altar. I'm asking you to forgive me. I lay my life down as a sacrifice to glorify you and magnify you. I can remember when I got saved, I said, God, you want me to move to attend Cambodia, I'll go. And I meant it. And so there's been times in my life where I've taken that back and I've had to get, get straight and get on my face before God again. And so, uh, you know, before we go much farther, I, I just want to pray with you guys. And then, uh, actually, I have something to show you. But let's all do that. Let's all stand up if we could. <clears throat> We're just going to do this, and uh, this would just be, just be you and God. I don't care if you're there with 
you know, your partner, with your friend, with your kid, whoever. This is just you and God. I just encourage you guys to mean this. Revival begins with repentance. If you look at any great revival, it begins with prayer and repentance. And so I'm not calling you up to grab a microphone, say anything like that. And I'm speaking to myself as well. That is there anything in our lives that we need to make straight with Him? Because for God to use us, for God to bless us, for God to move through us, it, it needs to begin with emptiness. God, here's my life. It belongs to you. I lay it all at the altar. Whatever I've done, forgive me. And so let's just, let's just pray together and uh, see if God can touch, touch some of our hearts and move in our lives. Father God, we just, we just first of all just come before you. We pray this way. If you're in this place today and you've never given your heart and life to God, never given your heart and life to Christ, and you want to do that, want to make Jesus, Jesus Lord of your life, wherever you're at, uh, just lift up your hand and I'll pray for you. I'll make sure Jesus is the Lord of your life today. Okay. Well, let's just pray like this. Father, in Jesus' name, we, just, we do lay our, our lives at the altar, Father God. We ask you to cleanse us. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to restore us in our walk, relationship with you. Any area of our lives, Father God, that we do need to, to put it in your hands, put it at your feet. Father God, Christian assembly starts with that. Is it uh, that you would be Lord? of all of our lives. Every aspect of our lives, every fiber of our being, let it glorify you. Let it magnify you. Father God, forgive us. Forgive, forgive us for every evil thought, every evil deed. Forgive us, Father God, for anything that's hindered you from moving in our lives. Forgive us, Father God, for anything that we have done to grieve the Holy Spirit. Father, we honor you and bless you today. And God, you gave your heart and life, every fiber of your, your being for us. God, we ask you to forgive us that at times in our lives we haven't given our everything back to you. And I speak for myself. And uh, Father God, we just thank you for restoration today. Restore us. And uh, Father God, help us be a better vessel of light for you, Father God. Help us be a better vessel. Help us be a better ambassador for you. Help us be a, a better vehicle for you. Help us to live empty. Help us to live as a sacrifice and humble before you. Father God, we want to glorify you and magnify you in all we do and say, God, we bless you for it and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You guys be seated. I'm going to show you guys a quick video here. And uh, <clears throat> so I want to thank, first of all, Dante. Dante put this together for us and donated to the ministry. Dante, thank you. So, uh, I don't know how to do videos, but Dante does, so. The Bible says that the body grows, each member does its part, so we appreciate that. Appreciate it greatly. As we show you guys this video, um, a lot of what I do now is underground. So, um, it is in a, in a nation that's closed, and so you're not going to see a lot of, uh, you know, a ton from the last 15 years or so. Uh, you know, you'll see a little bit. A lot of this is from early on, you know, when we got started. And, uh, you know, when I can remember being in here, I got saved, like I shared with you guys at a hot dog shop. Went to another church for about nine months, and I got invited here by Harold Mandy Filock. I don't know if any of y'all remember them. And I used to sit right in here. And um, they invited me and uh, came in. Our first service was a worship service, the entire service. There was no message or anything. One of the best services I was ever in. And they apologized. I'm like, apologize? That was the best service I was ever in. And... Uh, so anyway, I've been here since, and so it was about 1990 or so. And so since 1990, we've, we've endeavored to come in and out, of course, and 
you know, ministry started after that, uh, went to the nations. But you'll see some early things from, from, uh, from our ministry in here, from us beginning on the street ministry. Jim Henderson came up and said, Will, hey, we need to start a street ministry. And we started going to Pittsburgh and doing street ministry. And then uh, you'll see some, uh, I think, some homeless in here. Ben came up to me one day, hey, man, there's some homeless living under a bridge. And we started going up, ministering to the homeless and, and such. And so you'll see some things from early on in here. <clears throat> There's a baseball section uh, in here. Uh, I was developing my swing, so don't judge me too hard. It was, my swing got developed about four or five years later. I don't have video of that. But, but uh, anyway, you'll hear a guy in the background. That is, that is Baggy Byers. He used to go here as well. His name was Ed. And uh, Baggy was a legend in Brayton Township baseball history. And uh, I was honored to practice for the guy. He was, he was a great guy. So uh, he's in the video as well. And so uh, you'll see some things in here. But let's go ahead and we'll show that video. How could one day praying at a lake five miles east of Edinburgh, Pennsylvania lead to a million souls being saved? In late October, early November in 1990, I was attending the University of Edinburgh in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania. I'd been living in this trailer park. We were about five miles east from town. I was newly saved and was seeking God regarding what He wanted to do with my life. I was praying a prayer of consecration on my knees at this lake. I've been praying something like this. God, I don't know why you saved me, but you did. And because of that, I give you every fiber of my being. Let every fiber of my being, let every part of my body glorify you and magnify you. I said, Lord, I just want to glorify you and bless your name with all that's within us. If my life means something, may it be significant as I live for you. I remember praying, God, even if you would have us to live in a tent in Cambodia, I am willing. I might not choose that lifestyle, but I'm willing. God, if that's your will, send me. After praying that way for a while, I just sensed God was pleased with my heart, with where it was at. And just out of my belly, just out of my heart, I just remember saying this and hearing this. I said, Lord, in my lifetime, I would love to see a million souls come to Christ and experience the same thing that I've experienced in salvation. I sense God was pleased with that. And it just felt like God spoke to me and said, son, you'll do that and a whole lot more. And from that day, vision was birthed. Bible school soon after followed. And for the next 32 years, we've been on a relentless pursuit, endeavoring to chase down the vision that was planted so many years ago at this little lake east of Edinburgh. The ministry began conducting outreaches here in our locality. Back home while in college, I didn't really know how to start. So I started making tracks, and I made a promise to God in the early days when we were beginning. Lord, I'm going to pray over 10 tracks. I'm going to put them on the windshield of cars, and we're going to bless them and believe that the Word of God doesn't return void. If I miss a day, then I would try to make it up the following day with an extra 10 tracks. And that was our promise of God, and that's how ministry started 32 years ago. God allowed me soon after to be part of a Christian baseball team. We began traveling the world. We were fortunate enough to play against Taiwan's Olympic team, which soon after won the silver medal in the Olympics. We also traveled and played against different professional teams, but it was a Christian baseball team. And so we would play the team, and then we would endeavor to share the gospel with those that we just played against. It was a very competitive team made up of Christians from throughout the United States. It was a great honor to be part of that team. While in Bible school, we started attending a nursing home and began ministry with the residents there because I knew if we messed up, they would, they would just be glad that we were there. We started to go to juvenile detention centers soon after, began to preach the Word of God to young kids that were trying to rehab or recover, not only preach to them, but pray, pray with them as well. We then grew and began to take grills to various projects around the area. So we would endeavor to cook hamburgers, cook hot dogs, and then afterwards, soon after, we would endeavor to share Jesus with those that would attend. Soon after, we realized if we did a children's program, we began to reach out to the kids, a lot of times we could reach our families as well. One day I got excited and told the kids after an outreach in Ohio that, hey, be back here on Wednesday. We're going to be picking you up 
and we'll take you to church. And as I walked away, it was mentioned to me, hey, we don't have a van. And so I had to recruit a lot of members of the church and uh, we were able to recruit a lot of families that would come out in their in their minivans or in their cars. And I believe the very first Wednesday, we started with 30 kids. And we brought them to church, endeavored to share the gospel with them, endeavored to feed them. Not too long afterwards, we were getting upwards near 150 kids that were coming out on Wednesdays to come and hear the gospel and see what Jesus would do in their lives. Bus ministry was birthed. It lasted about seven or eight years. Once it was set up, once we organized it, we turned the ministry aspect over to Kristen and Kristen did a fine job with that. During the same time, it seemed that God was leading us to begin to share Jesus with folks overseas. And so trips began to take place. We started in Western Europe, but soon after we wound up in Africa and where we discovered that we could go and do small village crusades where other people weren't going. We would go in, we would set up a stage, we'd bring in lighting, equipment, and we would do our best to share a simple Jesus message. Jesus died for you, hung on a cross for you, suffered in a grave for you, gave his everything for you. If you give your lives back to him, that you would be saved. We did our very best to do that and we saw some great miracles take place as well. I can remember on one occasion outside of Anugu, Nigeria, we went in, it was a village of 200. Because of the miracles and things taking place, the village soon grew to over 7,000 people. I can remember a local witch doctor sacrificing chickens on our stage before we arrived. And from that, we saw thousands of people come to Christ. I thought during a period of time that we would spend the rest of our lives in either Nigeria or somewhere in Africa. But around 2004, God began to shift our heart. And I realized that our time in, in Africa was waning and that God had a new place for us. As I went home and began to pray, I began to realize that God was calling us to a closed nation in the Western Hemisphere. I was planning on going in illegally, but just before going into this country, I ran into a businessman that informed us that he had a license through the Treasury Department and then we could tag along with him. And so in 2005, I went with him to this nation. We sat down with the superintendents of the Assembly of God there in two of the three existing districts. And we shared with them that it was our heart to not only share Jesus, but to plant churches. And so we devised a plan that we would train those that had a heart for missions, had a heart for outreach. We went in in late 2005 early 2006 and began to train those that felt a call to the ministry. And then we came back to raise funds for them. And in 2006, we began with six full-time church planning evangelists. And so in our very first year, we saw over 20,000 people give their hearts and lives to Christ. And so from 2006 onward, we have grown from six full-time church planners, six full-time evangelists, to now we have over 70. On two occasions, they've shown our team on both the 700 Club and other programs as well, as these Christians, as these pastors endeavor to reach out. Every soul that gets saved in this nation, their name is turned into the district office, which is sent out to a local church to do follow-up, a local pastor to conduct follow-up, and then be invited to a local discipleship group. Where there is no discipleship group, our evangelists endeavor to plant one. And so the team has seen over 900 house churches planted since we've been there where we can get permission. We also endeavor to build churches. We've built 58 churches in this nation as well and believe God with us as we continue to grow and plant more churches. We've seen God change the lives of people from all walks of life. Change the lives of local witch doctors. People used to come and line up and pay a few cents and a witch doctor would pronounce a curse or, or what have you on, on local people. We've seen our evangelists win some of those to Christ and then we recruited them to be our evangelists going back and winning the very people that they work with and pronouncing curses on others. We've also seen doctors. We've seen 
seen lawyers, we've seen government officials who are proclaimed atheists, working for an atheist government, come to Christ and give their hearts and lives to Christ and open up house churches in their own home. Many people have been healed, delivered, set free and saved as the gospel goes forth, not only in this nation, but throughout nations of the world. And so as we look back, we've seen many tens of thousands of people give their hearts and lives to Christ from all forms and walks of life. God is no respecter of persons and we find what he does for one, he'll do for another. No matter how great the sin, no matter how great the offense, Jesus died for that person and died for their sin and paid the penalty for all of us to be saved. Though this one closed nation continues to be our primary focus, we continue to reach out into our locality as well as into other nations of the world as well. The Bible says when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you'll be witnesses in, in both your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so we endeavor to target all four areas as we endeavor to take the life-changing message of Jesus Christ to the nations. For 32 years, the ministry has endeavored to take the gospel that was birthed so many years ago at this place and take it to the nations of the world, take it to the highways and to the byways, to reach out to the lost, to the destitute, to those that are calling out for an answer, to those that are in need. Today, throughout the world, there are families calling out for an answer, and we are endeavoring to do our best to be a voice and an arm to reach them. So for 32 years, the ministry has gone forth to reach out into our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, as Acts 1-8 instructs us. Not only targeting foreign lands and this one particular closed nation, but also the folks next door. We want to thank our Lord and Savior, of course, first and foremost, for our salvation and give us an opportunity to go to heaven. Secondly, we want to thank our families for all that you've sowed into us, for examples that you've set, and giving us a direction to follow. We want to thank our pastor for believing in a couple kids that had little more than raw vision. We want to thank every volunteer for every moment of time that you've sowed into the ministry and into missions to be the hands and feet of our organization going forward. Without you, we have no extension. We want to thank our partners. We want to thank you for the time that you've spent working, for sowing your blood, sweat, and tears, for giving your efforts, and in turn, you would be able to sow into missions and allow us to go to the nations to represent you. We also want to thank you as our prayer warriors for keeping us safe, for keeping the ministry moving forward, and allowing angels to be camped about us to represent you as well throughout the nations. Without each and every one of you, this ministry would be impossible. The Bible says one can put a thousand a flight and two ten thousand. So each one of you is an important part of the ministry heading forward. We want to thank all of you for working together with us as a team as we head forward in carrying out the vision that was planted so many years ago at this lake five miles east of Edinburgh. We're pleased to announce to you today that after 32 years of labor and working together as a team, working together as a ministry, we have finally reached our goal of seeing one million souls won to Christ throughout the various nations of the world that we've traveled to. It's been a long journey with many things to overcome, but thank God with persistence, with God's help, with His anointing and grace, we've stayed together, we've stuck together, endeavored to advance the life-changing message of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. We look forward to many more years of sharing the gospel throughout the nations. We want to encourage you to stay with us. We also want to encourage you to incorporate your own vision. Find a way to use your giftings and talents to work with us as a team to get the gospel to the nations. We have upcoming mission trips. We have upcoming opportunities that we may be able to tap into your gifts and your talents to continue to get the gospel to the nations of the world. Once again, from my family to yours, from Bridges for Life Ministry to you, thank you for being part of the team. God's good. Amen. It has been a long ride. <laughs> long ride. But uh, he, he's faithful.